0: Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. After two weeks you get out of practice, you know, forget to turn on your mic. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, please. We're going to continue our study here as we jump into Romans chapter 4. I told you uh, a few weeks ago that uh, I apologize I, I felt like I just shoved a whole pie in your face and I gave you too much. I'm hoping that I'm not going to do that again today. Um, we're going to cover all of Romans chapter 4, um, kind of condensed into two main sections here, um, but I, I really, as we think about this opportunity to open the word, we're going to look at being charged uh, our account. What's charged to your account? Uh, but before we do that, I, I just want to say again, thanks for those who prayed for me and my family as I was away from them and just thankful for the time to go. Uh, I went with Craig Peters and Equip Ministries. Craig and I traveled um, on, uh, on a Sunday and we traveled down to Guatemala and spent a week uh, down there going from village to village in Guatemala, uh, just teaching and, and coming along of other pastors and, and it was just a great privilege between 120, 130 pastors that we got to have, have just an opportunity to teach God's word and uh, uh, just come alongside of them. We traveled a lot. Roughly, it was like traveling from Cleveland uh, to Denver. That was the distance that we covered in a week's time. And uh, let me just say some of the roads are not like our roads here. And so uh, the, I got a good ab workout in, on one of them for about uh, 40 kilometers Uh, we went through uh, uh, quite the bumpiness you didn't sleep at all didn't nap at all but uh, if I'm looking a little trimmer that may be why so just teasing so um, we ate well I did get sick uh, on that Friday night and uh, but God gave me strength on that Saturday we still had one more session of teaching on Saturday morning and uh, and it went really really well God only God could have done that. And thankful for the opportunity. Thankful again for our leadership here at West Hill who allowed me to go away, especially for two Sundays. Thankful for my friend Kevin Burkholder who, uh, who preached and for all the bad jokes that he, I already listened to them. They're not true. All right. The, the jokes weren't true, but that's okay. Um, and, uh, and, and last Sunday was just tremendous, uh, for those who gave their testimony. I just want to Applaud you. It's one of those moments as a pastor to sit there and listen. Uh, We were down at Columbus yesterday, and as I listened to that message and that service last Sunday, it was a great encouragement to my heart. So, God is at work, amen? He is working, and we haven't arrived yet, nor will we ever. But don't grow discouraged and don't grow weary. God is working and he's working amongst us and he wants to continue to use us for his glory. I want to show you just a short uh, video clip of, uh, kind of gives you at least a little idea of what we did, Craig and I, and and our time. You'll see in the video, uh, me throwing something. Um, uh, Craig would always start off our teaching sessions. He led the, the first session and I would come in second. And, and, uh, and I always told people that I wasn't as good of a teacher as, as Craig was, but I brought mints. Uh, and so I bribe people to answer questions. That's the way I teach. And so, um, so Skyview, you can expect that when I come down. Some of you are nodding your head because you know that's, I've done it there. And so uh, when I come down on Tuesday, uh, you'll be ready for that. And so uh, here's a short clip, though, if we could play it. So that gives you a little idea. Um, that day was um, out in the jungle, even though there was a building there. Some pastors had traveled uh, five hours to be there that day. There was 40 pastors there that day, some of them traveling. Some Half of them uh, have no electricity, and so we were able to take some solar lights. We took Bibles because uh, pastors have Bibles, but a lot of their people don't even have Bibles, and so we were able to take that. Uh, that day in the jungle, we not only translated from English to Spanish, but then uh, some, half of them uh, knew Spanish. The other had their own native language of Kaichí. and so uh, when you think about preaching or teaching, hard enough to get up and preach or teach, you know, but then you got a translator who's translating in Spanish, so you say a phrase, and then they would say it. I don't know Spanish, so I'm not even going to attempt it, all right, but... They would say it in Spanish. And then after the Spanish guy said it, then the Kai Chi guy would say it. And so you have these uh, a statement said, and then somebody says it again, and then somebody says it again. And by the time it gets back to you, I'm so ADHD. Like, I'm like, okay, what was I saying again? You know, you have to stay really focused. But it was just a great privilege. And if I could bring anything to you, let me help you to understand, guys, God has gifted us. You have so many resources at, at your fingertips. Take advantage of that. These men were so hungry. that Nobody had ever taught them how to teach. Nobody ever taught them how to even study the Bible. They read. They could tell a story. They tried to digest of what it was saying. But these men were hungry to say, what what is, what is doctrine? What is sin? What is... What is this idea that, that Christ is fully human? Why is that important? And why, why is Christ being fully God and divinity? Why is that important? And to be able to see these guys get it and their eyes light up, and then for them to come and just to embrace you at the end. And it was over 100 degrees every, uh, two out of the days. All the rest of the days were in the upper 90s. I mean, but you didn't care. I didn't care these guys were all sweaty. I was all sweaty too. They just came and they embraced and they're like, thank you. And they would say through the translator, thank you, I can't wait to go and to tell my people what I've learned here today. Man, I don't know about you, but we're privileged to have the word of God, to have somebody teaching us and showing us, to show what does it mean to believe in Christ? What does it mean to follow after him? What does it mean to study this word to observe, and to interpret, and to apply it to our lives. We have been given a great privilege. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life. That's not my message today. Romans chapter 4, here we go. You ready? All right, why don't you stand with me? Something that we do here at West Hill when we read the scriptures, if you would stand with me, and we're going to Follow along in your text. If you don't have your text in front of you, there's one up on the screen, but I encourage you to follow along in front of you. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted As a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For it is It is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith is known and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who delivered up for, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it, to read it, to study it this morning. And I just pray that it would take root in our hearts and in our minds. That we wouldn't just be hearers of the word today, but that we would be doers of it. Lord, thank you for the gift that you've given us, salvation through your son, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to not only place our faith and trust in him, knowing that our eternity is secured, but we have the opportunity to continue to grow in our faith, continue to grow in our trust in you. So, Lord, use this time for your glory, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As we've been walking through this book of Romans, we see very early on that uh, Paul's emphasis as he's writing to the believers in Rome is to lay a foundation early on that all have sinned, that all fall short, right? Romans 3. But he does that in a manner where Romans 1... He lays out the, the, the Gentile nations and how how evil and how uh, adulterous they are, that they would live in this shame and live in their wickedness. But then in chapter 2, which we often just jump from chapter 1 to chapter 3, in chapter 2, he confronts the Jews. And, and, and he confronts them in the sense where, hey, you have said those who in chapter 1 that I've described, they're sinners, and yes, they're wicked, they're bad. But you who judge them, you are doing the very same things that you are condemning them for. So what, gets you, what gives you the right to be the judge? And so Romans 3 then says, all have sinned and all fall short of God's perfect standard. It's everyone, Jew, Gentile, there's, there's not a man or woman or child that lives on the face of the earth that, that is sinless. And so how is this righteousness gained it's gained through faith, and he starts to lay this, this pattern out as he starts working through uh, the Old Testament and saying it's, it's by the law, right? No, he continually, once and uh, not just once, but multiple times, he continues to confront this idea that it's the law and the keeping of the law that makes one's one righteous because the Jews thought they were better, than the Gentiles, because they had the law. And even if they couldn't keep all of it, they were trying to keep most of it. And this idea of circumcision placed the Jews in higher standing than the rest of the world because this was God's covenant with his people. This was God's sign saying, see, I've chose you and I want you to be my special people. And, And so God, in this covenant sign, the Jews took it as were. We're holy, we're better, we've obtained God's righteousness. And Paul continues to chip away at this. And as he does, he's going to bring in their father, Abraham. The Jews knew that their father, while they followed the law of Moses, their father was Abraham. Abraham was the one when God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you that the Jews would have understood and said out of Abraham we are we have come into being we've been given this land as as Jews there were so many promises that the Jews hung to and grasped because of Abraham and their father that's why ultimately i think in hebrews when we see the the chapter that covers all of the different characters of faith the most committed time is the one Called Abraham. And I don't think that's by accident. And it's because the Hebrews clung to Abraham as the one who started, God started it all and through their nation came. So Paul begins this section and he says, Well, what is gained by Abraham? What shall we say was gained by Abraham according to the flesh? If you're saying circumcision, the end of chapter 3, that, that circumcision doesn't justify you, then what was gained by Abraham? What happened to him? And then he asks this question. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. And then Paul always puts these little phrases, but not before God. Because you no one can boast before God. Even if you're doing these works, these good works, was Abraham justified by his works? Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Paul's going to go back and the great beauty of Paul and his writings is he will always point back to the word. He'll always point back to the Old Testament. Paul isn't just saying his words, and it's a great example for us as we live out our lives and as we, as we seek to know the truth and as we share the truth with di- different people. Always point them back to the word. It's the word that has the authority. This is the authority that we live our lives on. Do you know it? Do you believe it? This is what we go back to. And so Paul is saying, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. This idea of counting or accredited to his account. All right. So he has this account and what was put in there? Righteousness. Well, how did he gain righteousness in his account? Paul's writing in order to gain that righteousness in his account, he had to believe. Verse four. Now to the one who works. His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Now, you all, those of you who have a job, you work, right? Those of you who are retired are like, (laughs) not me anymore, right? I'm looking at Bob and thinking the retired life, but you're still work, even though you're retired. When you're working, all right, I I worked uh, for a farmer. And there were days that I did not want to go outside and get on that trailer. All right, we bailed hay and straw. There were many days, much like yesterday, when it's 89, 90, 92 degrees out, and you're like, I don't want to stand on a trailer and get my arms all scratched up and bale hay and straw. I didn't want to do it, but there was the, the beauty of that. And the only beauty of that is, number one, I got to help the farmer out. But number two was, I, I got paid. Right, And I looked forward to getting paid. But is that a gift? And Paul uses this illustration. What you're working for is not a gift. You're do that. And so this idea of working, you're do something. And so this idea of your works giving you a gift. No, you don't get a gift as you work. That's what's due to you. And he's going to continue this. Uh, idea of a gift later on as he writes. But he wants them to see uh, the one, verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes. Let me just pause. That's not saying that you don't work, okay? Those of you teenagers and kids are still living in your mom's basement. Like, you need to work. That's not what Paul's saying. Look at the context here. It's the idea of your account being credited with righteousness. It's not based on your works, he says, but the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And then he uses another example. He goes back to the scriptures and he talks about David from Psalm 32 that we looked at earlier. And he quotes him, blessed are are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Those trespasses, those sins that are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. One of the things that you should do as you read through the text, you should observe. And as you observe different things, you should see something uh, as you see. What do you see over and over again? Well, we see a couple words throughout our text here um, that are... Over and over again, this word counted appears over 10 times uh, in this chapter. Believe is mentioned six times. Faith is mentioned 11 times. The promise is mentioned five times in just verses 13 through 25. And so when we see this idea of being counted, what's counted, what's accredited to your account, Paul is saying it's by faith. It's by believing. Verse 9, is the blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So here's a good question. Is it just for those who have taken that step of circumcision? Right? Is that the blessing that your your account would be credited righteousness? Well, Paul goes on. He says, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised. And Paul writes. It was not after. But before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision. As the seal of righteousness. That he had by faith. While he was still uncircumcised. As Paul is writing this. He's saying listen. Paul's account wasn't credited. As righteous. Uh, because of circumcision. In fact. Circumcision didn't come. Until after It says that that Abraham believed. But notice what, what Paul says here. Circumcision was the seal of that righteousness. It was the stamp that said, yes, he is a man who is living by faith. It's interesting as we go throughout the New Testament that we read as followers of Jesus Christ, as we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we have been given a seal. It's not circumcision, but can you tell me this morning, vocally, you're allowed to respond now, all right? So I'm prepping you, getting you ready, and I'm not throwing you any candy, okay? But we've been given a seal. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not because of what we're doing, our good works, but we've been, we place our trust, our faith, our belief in Jesus, and when we do, we are sealed with what? the Holy Spirit. Isn't it pretty cool? I mean, God is such a God of order. He's not like confusion and disorder, but what this pattern that we see in the old Testament and Paul explains for us, this idea of circumcision being the seal that, that helps people to see and people to know God is with them, that, that God acknowledges their faith. So God has given us a seal. We've been given the Holy Spirit. As a seal of our righteousness. Not because of what we've done. But because of who God is. And our acknowledgement that we need him in us. We need, by placing our faith and trust him. We need him to do something that we can't do. And we get that spirit, the Holy Spirit that comes and, and who is our seal. Some will say that seal comes when you're baptized. I wouldn't go that far. I don't think you need baptism in order to get to the seal of the spirit. Okay, Some others will say, well, you're not really saved until you can speak in tongues. And that's that's the seal. No, that's not what scripture tells us. The seal here is God's righteousness. It's not what I have to do. And in fact, it's not me doing anything. Let's continue. As he says this, So this purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. So you and I, our father is who? Abraham. If you are uncircumcised, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, that's beside the point. Whether you're Jewish or Gentile, slave or free... Who is the father of all those who will believe and whose account is credited to them as righteousness? Abraham is. And then he continues and he says to make him the father of the circumcised, verse 12, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham before he was circumcised. Paul's trying to make claim and he's trying to make sure, hey, it's not their circumcision that makes them right. It's their faith. And Abraham is the father of those who are uncircumcised. And he is the father of those who are circumcised, who place their faith in Jesus. He makes it very clear here. It's not about the circumcision. Because why? Because of what he said earlier. The works aren't going to save you. Continue now. Now Paul's going to talk about the promise. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham... And his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if in the inheritance of the law, who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Meaning, if through the law you can be an heir, meaning, again, Abraham, when you go back to Genesis and what Paul is talking about, Abraham has been given a promise that he would have an heir. And God took him out and he said, look at all the stars. Look at the sky. As numerous as those are, those are going to be your heirs. The ones who are going to come after you. And Abraham responds and says, I don't have have anybody. Only Eleazar, he's my my helper. I, I don't have anybody else. And God says, "No, it's not Eleazar. You're going to have one who's going to come from you. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. And so, this promise and this idea that a promise uh, of having these these nations, these people that would be heirs to the promise of of having a God who would account uh, to who would put in their account righteousness. This idea was was so." So out there, because Abraham he 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 was old. And as we are going to look at here in just a moment, Sarah's old. She can't bear children. And so, how is this promise going to happen? That there's going to be an heir, or that the heirs are going to be so numerous as the stars in the sky. Well, we see that it doesn't come through the law. It comes through faith. Because if it comes through the law, then faith is null and the promise is void. If it meant Abraham keeping and doing all the right things, then the promise wasn't going to happen. But the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there's no transgression. Meaning if you didn't have the law, where would the, the transgression be? Meaning... If you didn't have a list of rules and and regulations, how would you know that what you're doing is wrong? That's the purpose of the law. The law shows you that you disobey, that we fall short, that we transgress, that we uh, make an offense. That's why some of you have gotten speeding tickets. Right? You transgressed. You broke the law. All right? I won't get into all the other laws that you might have broken, but we see that the law, Paul writes here, the law brings wrath. Verse 16, that is why it depends what's it. It's the promise, the promise that we see in verse 13. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, let me pause here. Verse 16. Some people will say, oh, look, see, it talks about those who keep the law. So that must be the Jews who are just keeping the law and circumcised. No, Paul's already defined for us multiple times leading up to this passage that it's not by keeping the law. So Paul isn't going to change that as he says here. I think this is a short term of what he just said earlier in verses 9, 9 through 12. That it's not keeping the law that makes your account righteous. So ultimately, in verse 16, not only he says not only to the adherents of the law, who those who place their faith in Jesus, he's talking about the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. So it's not only those who place their faith in Jesus, but it's also for those who live under the law who place their faith in Jesus. Look at the context as we look here. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to death and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he said, As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was, A, as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. As a woman, if you were barren through childbirth years, it came to a point where you came to grips to realize you're not going to get pregnant. Sarah's so old now that she's way advanced beyond those years. She's, her womb, literally, as the text tells us here, her womb is dead. She can't bear children. But notice verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake, Alone, but for ours also. When we think about this, I want to ask you a couple questions. Number one, what is your starting point? What is your starting point? As we look at the text here, we, Paul is making it very clear that as we start in the flesh and as we think about who we are, we have nothing to offer God. Maybe you sit here this morning and and, and you think about who you are, that you've accomplished so much, Or what you have to offer to God. What you've been born with or how you've been raised. You look at yourself as as having the privilege and that you have things under control. That you can live life however you desire because you can do it. Well, it's not what you have and it's not who you are that you can offer something to God. Ultimately, it's your view of your need of God. This is the starting point for every single one of us. Paul makes clear to us that it's by faith. It's to believe in the presence of God. And he says this in in multiple ways. Number one, he says this into the one who gives life to the dead. He says this in verse 17, and then he says in verse 19, and then he shares with us in verse 25. There's three different points here as you look at the text where he's making it extremely clear how does, how does something that is dead get life? And then he talks about Abraham's body. He's as good as dead. Or Sarah's womb. It's as good as dead. And we, what do we deserve? We're trespassers. We've broken the law. And so what do we deserve? We deserve death. And so this idea that we can provide life out of death ourselves... It's something that Paul is arguing against. You don't have the ability to provide life out of death. Only Jesus can do that. It's only our faith and trust in him. The second thing that we see about this faith and to believe in the presence of God is God can call into existence. All right, He's not over here making. I love the words here that Paul uses. He calls into existence. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke. God spoke and it was so. He didn't have to sit over here for for a few hours and try to uh, form it and fashion it and say, oh, here we go. I think we're good. No, God spoke and there it was. And Paul is writing here. It takes faith to believe that God is the one who calls into existence those things that did not exist. And so when we think of this, again, We see this in verse 17 as Paul's writing this up and and saying this. But he explains it in verse 19. There is no heir. It doesn't exist. In Genesis 15, 1 through 6, that's that whole description that I I shared with you. This interaction that Abraham has with, with the Lord. Hey, there's nobody here to be the heir. How do you create something that isn't there? Only God can do that. And that's what Paul's trying to describe here calls into existence something that doesn't exist. It's the same that we see in verse 25 at the end. where justification. That we, that you and I who break the law, who are sinners, that we could be made right. That we could be given life. That we could be given God's righteousness on our account. It's an amazing thing. But what does it take? It doesn't take you doing things. You can be a good person, but, but that's not going to accomplish anything. You can do all the right things and you still fall short. And that's what Paul's saying. Listen, it's your faith, it's Abraham's faith. Look at how he lived his life. He's our father. Let's model him. And in doing that, he believed in the promises of God. The second question what are you boasting about? What are you boasting about? We are arrogant people. I don't know if you noticed that or not. You are arrogant. It's interesting when you go to a different culture and then you come back. All right. So, uh, trust me, I, I love America. I'm not slamming you or me. Okay. So don't take it that way. When I stepped into the Miami airport, I knew I was back in America. It felt good because I didn't have all these security and all that stuff. But there was an arrogance that I would never seen before. We live in a great nation. A great time to be able to live for Jesus. But we often live life the way we want to do it. You often live life the way you desire to live it. You live by your works. You want people to see you and to acknowledge you. Maybe you're doing things to earn a wage so that you can have more. You can accomplish those dreams that you thought having more things would accomplish. Maybe you want to set out and do more things so that you can run up your list of accomplishments. What are you boasting about? Paul is writing about the circumcision. That the Jews would boast about because it was everything to them. It set them apart from all the other nations and all the other people. Circumcision. I've got this, and that means God's on my side. And Paul is saying, No, you have no right to boast. You can boast all you want about the law or about circumcision, it's about your faith. It's about what God does. It's your belief and trust in him. What he does for us. I love what Abraham says, what Paul says about Abraham. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Where did the glory go? It wasn't about Abraham boasting about what What he had done, or who he was, or how privileged he was, or how smart he was, or the the university that he went to, or all the money he had, or the the right shoes he wore. It had nothing to do with that. His confidence, his boasting was in what Jesus, what God had done for him. And for us, as we look at Jesus, what Jesus has done for you and for me. Which leads to this third question then. What does your account look like? What does your account look like? It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. What's in our account? Righteousness. Do you understand that our own righteousness is like filthy rags? What you and I have to bring to God is disgusting to him. It's it's nothing. We don't have anything to offer to him. All of our good works are like filthy rags. That's our good works, let alone our bad works and our own sin. But here we are, and what's credited to our account when we place our faith and our belief in Jesus, you and I stand before God and we are declared right. God looks at you and I as an heir, one of his children, and our standing with him, we are declared right. We have been given the righteousness of God. Our account is full. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you sit here today and your account is full, not because of your works, not because you have anything to offer, but because it is a gift from God and his grace. How many of you, I need somebody who has really good eye vision. Who's got good eyesight? All right. I won't make you speak and talk too much. Why don't you tell people, what's your name? Justin Smith. Justin Smith. Justin and Ariel are back from Colorado, and we're glad to have them back with their little boy. So I have a few things in this room. Okay. And uh there's a little sign over there and I'm just wondering if you could tell me what that says. No. no? You said you had a good eyesight. I do, but that's not- small. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Justin, what if you came right here? Is that is that going to help you? It does help, but I still can't make it out. All right. Do you do you, you know what these are? Binoculars. Yeah. Do you think those might help you? Probably. Okay. You know how to use them and yeah. okay. If you could tell me what that says. He's got to get zoomed in. God. God. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Alright. Um, there's another one right back here in that second pillar. And there's actually two words. Can you read those without the binoculars? Top one might say Jesus. Hmm. Uh, might, really might be. Might be. No hints, you guys. No cheaters, okay? All right. Why don't you try your binoculars and see what kind of perspective you may have now? Gets the. Gets the. Not Jesus, right? Okay. So God <laughs> gets the. What's see that third one? There's one back there on that pillar. Can you see that one? I can't. No. Okay. Well, why don't you try here? He's putting his hand up like blocking. It's a tough one because it's small. Think it, says glory. it does. God gets the glory, right? And that's what ultimately Paul is writing um, to the believers in Rome. He's like, listen, look at look at the faith of Abraham. His faith grew when God got all the glory. Another way to read it is that as he lived his life to glorify God, his faith grew. If you live your life in the way that you want to live, your faith isn't going to grow. Your faith grows as you seek to honor the one who accounts, who puts in your account righteousness. I got one other hard one. Okay. There's, uh, there's two words there. See that, that one? Why don't you take a look? Because I'm I'm sure you can't see it without binoculars. Because I can't see it. Now I really can't see it. Great. When we give God all the glory, what happens to our faith? It grows. But what do we need? So we think about this. What's your starting point? It's got to be faith. And when you think about your boasting and how you live life, it's got to be about glorifying God. And when we think about our account and what our account looks like, man, we're filled with the righteousness of God, which should give us great strength and great courage as we live life for Jesus. But oftentimes we forget about these things because we lack something. Back on the back, you see the white paper? It's a little easier because it's bigger. But this is what we need. Ari, you might have to take him to the eye, doctor, here. Focus perspective. That's what we need. We can try to do life, but see, the world continues to try to distract us. Continually, the world's going to throw things at us that's going to get our eyes and our minds and our hearts uh, focused on other things. But when we have a focused perspective, when we can see, yes, my starting point is based upon my faith in Jesus Christ, and that ultimately I want to live in a way that brings him glory and God will grow my faith as I walk with him. And then realizing he, in, in spite of my sin and in spite of when I do mess up, I can come to him and confess my sin and he is faithful and righteous to forgive me in my sin that I can continually see my account full of his righteousness, not my own. That doesn't give me a license to do whatever I want. Cause remember I'm living in a way that brings him glory, but I have to have a focused perspective. And when I keep that focused perspective, I see where my account and what's in my account. Justin, thank you for your help. Let's give Justin a hand. Thank you. So how do you live life this week? Let me encourage you. Keep a focused perspective. You saw Justin, he had to focus in in order to see those words. God has given us his word and you will not keep a focused perspective without being in this. Don't be in it as a law, as a I've got to do it because God tells me I got to do it. And there's days that we do it out of duty because it's hard because there's a lot of other things that I could get busy with. But we approach his word And we ask him to come. God, do your work in me. I need a focused perspective on who you are and what you're desiring for my life. It takes work, doesn't it? The beauty is the work's on the back end. All right? Paul's talking about our righteousness and our right standing with God. That happens because of faith. Because of our faith in Jesus, our works... They display our faith, which is the whole book of James. What's your faith look like? And what do your works look like? Have you gotten them mixed up? Your faith comes first. And your works follow close behind. And they acknowledge and they show what your faith really is. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for your goodness thank you for loving us thank you for your word that we can dig in and study and and to read it and understand thank you for abraham our father who went before us thank you for his faith that he that he displayed that even though he was dead physically lord almost a hundred years old that he stood strong to the promise that you had given him he says he didn't even waver giving in to those things that may cause him to not believe. And Lord, we struggle with that. We struggle at times looking and examining, Lord, at things that, that really don't matter. Or things that can distract us from your presence. Distract us from your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a focused perspective. Lord, that we would see how awesome and how great you are. We wouldn't forget that, but that would encourage us to grow stronger in our faith. And we grow stronger in our faith when you are glorified through us, when we give you the glory. We don't do our own desires when we don't live according to the flesh and when we don't live pursuing sin, but you are most glorified when we honor you, when we live our lives in a way that, that we show others through our speech, through our actions, our thoughts, our conduct, that you are the one that we trust. You are the one that we cling to and hold to because you've put in our account a full righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for your goodness, and we thank you that we can sing All glory be to Christ. And it's in his name we pray.